What is up, my fellow limpers? This is your host, Jordan Ross, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of the What's Your Limp podcast. Uh, now, this past week has been a little hectic. I am still right in the middle of production on another show. Um, I still don't think I can officially announce what it is, uh, but it's something I've been working a lot on. I'll be shooting it until mid-December, uh, so it's been difficult trying to balance uh, all of the work that I'm having to do on that with uh, the podcast. But so far, I've been able to do it. This last week, there was a little bit of a scare, though. It was... Uh, on Friday, this past Friday, which was September 24th, we were out shooting and we're, we're mostly shooting outdoors in fields with, you know, grass and hay and dust and dirt. And, you know, there's campfires, so I'm breathing in smoke. So all of this stuff, um, you know, was was getting my allergies going. But on top of that, I have incredibly severe asthma, as I've spoken about on the podcast before. And um I haven't had my preventative inhaler that kind of helps, you know, keep my lungs strong. So whenever my allergies do start acting up, my asthma doesn't flare up as bad as it used to. Um, but without the preventative, I have reverted back to using my rescue inhaler like 10 times a day, if not more. So the past month, not having my preventative inhaler and not being able to get the prescription filled for a, a variety of reasons, my asthma slowly started to revert back to its old ways of kind of controlling my life. And all of that kind of came to a head whenever I was on set the other day. It was a night shoot. As I said, I'm breathing in, you know, all of this dust and, and grass and hay and smoke and all of this stuff. Uh, and my asthma was bad, so I had to keep using my nebulizer on set in between takes. It wasn't working. My oxygen level was staying low. Um, and I felt like I was pretty close to actually passing out. So they ended up having to wrap me a little early that night and uh, rush me to the ambulance that we have on standby so they could give me a, a big old steroid shot and some more breathing treatments. And, and they got it under control. I was able to finally get my prescription filled. So I'm back on my preventatives. Um, I'm on steroids still. So it's my lungs are good. I'm actually able to get get oxygen. It was at a point where you know, I couldn't take 10 steps without being short of breath. But now, you know, I can go up and down the stairs in my house, I can carry the kids and I, I can breathe fine. So I'm back to, to, you know, a healthy place. But that's what I've been dealing with this week. Um, so I just wanted to share that with everyone. Well, anyway, today, I have my first chosen castmate on the show. And I figured since it's a show about Jesus that I would start with Jesus himself, Mr. Jonathan Rumi. Uh, if you're a fan of the show and you've followed me on social media or Jonathan on social media for any amount of time, you may have encountered an interaction between us, whether it's on a, you know, behind the scenes video or an Instagram live stream or just in the comments of one of our Instagram posts where I am telling Jonathan that I love him or I'm calling him my dad and he is uh, getting annoyed with me or telling me that he hates me. Uh, and it's confused some fans. I've I've seen some fans comment uh, on Jonathan's post, like, why are you so mean to Jordan and all of this stuff? Some people are genuinely worried that uh, Jonathan doesn't like me. Well, we get into that in this episode and we explain what that running joke is and where it came from uh, and uh, why we've we've been doing that for the past several years. So in the future, whenever you listen uh, to live streams or you see a behind the scenes video of, of me and Jonathan, you have a little more context as to why uh, he seems to be so mean to me. But you'll also see in this episode uh, the 
the more accurate portrayal of Jonathan and my relationship. Uh, and that is uh, a relationship that has a lot of uh, love and respect and uh, admiration for one another. So it was really, really, really great uh, getting to sit down with with Jonathan for one of my longer episodes. This one's uh, probably going to clock in a little over an hour, but uh, I have a feeling that most of you won't mind because uh, I know that most of my listeners are Chosen fans. So uh, I think that uh, you're really going to enjoy this. And since this is a longer episode, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this intro so you can get to my conversation with Jonathan. But be sure to stick around after the episode to find out who next week's guest is. Anyway, without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy this original intro music from Devin Levi at Devin Levi Music. Go give him a follow and enjoy my conversation with Jonathan Rumi. So thanks for coming and agreeing to do this, Dad. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know how much I love you so. I love you so much. Yeah, yeah. We're we're rolling now. I was just saying like how much I love you and appreciate you and um, you know, I'm not your dad, Jordan. But like in a way, I'm not your dad. I've never been your dad. I'm maybe not biologically. Really, not even not even a father figure. I'm not a father figure. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't embrace that role. Um, I never wanted it. It was kind of forced upon me in season one. And but I and did I'm want doing it. Doing everything within my legal rights to to extinguish that. So, but but I did want it. Of court orders that I'm here. So like, because. well, tomato, tomato. So, um, tomatoes or tomatoes. Let's just get this over with. I know how much you wanted to be here. You've been like hounding me to to come on the podcast for a while. So. Um, I'm glad we finally were able to to sync up and and do it. The lawyer suggested that I should just do this uh, and just get this out of the way and satisfy any kind of court requirements based on the. Um... Anyway, we don't have to get into it here. Right. Anyway, I love you uh, and thank you for. What was that? <laughs> he said, "I hate you, Jordan." <laughs> <laughs> thank well, you cats out of the bag the cats out of the bag <laughs> so you, i love you too um <laughs> so for anyone listening who's a fan of the chosen uh you may have noticed that anytime jonathan's doing like a live stream i pop on and he always hangs up on me this all started just to give the fans some context because we'll keep it going but anyone listening is going to get a little insight on how it started so in season one after the first four episodes, we went back for the next four because the first four, I was only there like four total days. Um, and I do want to talk about that later. But the next four episodes is when we all when I got to kind of be part of the group and really get to know everyone better. So we're shooting out in the field and uh, you were leading us. We were all following you. And I came up after one of the takes and tried to hold your hand and you kind of pulled away and were like, what are you doing? And I acted sad. So you reluctantly like took my hand and started walking. Um, but then that little moment more. Did thing, I actually take your hand? I didn't remember. Did I? You did. In that you, moment? You, you did. Well, at first you were like, what are you doing? And then I acted sad like a little kid. So you're like, <laughs> fine. And you did it. But you, like you weren't happy about it. Um, 
And then uh, from there, I just remember looking over at Liz, like laughing at how creepy it all was. Right. She she's the one that got a big kick out of it. We enjoyed making other people feel uncomfortable doing this bit. So it morphed into little James wanting Jesus to be his dad, and Jesus not having any of it. Like he's he's like, no, I'm the son, and right. I, you know, he had Jesus. Stepson. Yes, exactly. The redheaded stepson, if any of them. Yes. And Jesus is like, you know, he'll t- he'll touch the lepers, but he he doesn't want to touch little James. Um, and uh, it just it, Jesus, little James is the only person that Jesus like doesn't want anywhere near him. And uh, it just turned into this running bit that's now been going on for a couple of years. Uh, so it's uh, that's just for the fans that that anytime you see uh, Jonathan being mean to me in a live stream. Uh, you don't need to get too concerned. You know, it's it's uh, he doesn't he doesn't really hate me. At least that's what I keep telling myself. Yeah, uh, well, that's that's good that you're telling yourself that. At least at least it's real for someone. Yeah, exactly. My very first memory of meeting you, we were shooting uh, the Shabbat dinner at, at Mary's house, and we it was a super cold night. It was like 30-something degrees. I think you guys were the first two dis- disciples that I yeah. in the shoot. Actually. Yeah. And at the time, like, you know, none of us had any idea what the show would go on to become. But um, I remember I was standing there and I was like freezing and it was 30-something degrees. We were chewing on ice cubes and um, all that stuff. And I had the, one of those giant coats on. Uh, just trying to keep warm and I was like shivering uncontrollably and the first time I actually saw you you walked up you introduced yourself gave me a hug and you saw how cold I was so then you gave me your jacket um, on top of mine and it was like this you're walking towards me and there's this big light behind you that was like backlighting you and you're dressed like Jesus and you give me your coat while I'm cold and I was like this dude's really in character Um, but uh you know, I came to realize like that's the the kind of guy you were. Like that later when we were shooting the the miracle of the fish scene, you saved a butterfly from someone's iced tea that that fell in there. And oh, yeah. uh, I remember the so those yeah. first four episodes, it was like this. Not that you, I was like, oh, this is actually Jesus, but I was just like, whoa, like is this dude just like super into character, or is he like I wasn't sure what what to make all of all of it because like. <laughs> you were doing these like Jesus like things, giving someone the coat off of your back and saving a butterfly and putting it in the sun so it can like dry its wings and uh, things like that. And then I realized like how much of a jerk you actually are later on. It was, uh, I realized like it was, it was cool getting to, to know you more over the next four episodes and then throughout season two um, and seeing that like one, that is the type of person you are, but then also seeing you know, the, the sense of humor and the, uh, cause you know, we both have at times kind of a darker sense of humor or a more, uh, dry sense of humor. And, uh, it's been really cool to bond with you through all of that. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, man. It's been great for me to, to, uh, to get to know you and to, um, to really, uh, see how dedicated you are and your work ethic and, and how great a performer you are. I mean, it's, it's tough to, I think, kind of be in an ensemble and, you know, especially in the beginning, we're only getting glimpses of your character. And, and um, But, you know, that at any moment, whenever you do have the opportunity to, to, to shine, you 
shine ever so brightly. So it's been it's been awesome, man. And then getting to see you work in it. Episode three of season two was just fantastic. And, and that whole conversation with Thomas is just so beautiful. So Yeah, same. And I, I hope because we Jesus pushes little James off a cliff at some point. That's what I'm 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 uh, buying for that uh buying for that from from our writers to just write a scene. Yeah. Jesus when the swine goes off the cliff, so does little James. But then you keep walking and he's already there in front of you. He just always pops back he's up. Dusting himself <laughs> off. Yeah. Like, He's like Wiley Coyote. Nothing. I thought uh, thought uh, we lost James in the crowd there for a minute. Just ah, he's he's back. We've obviously been in scenes together and had little interactions, but we haven't really had a a really meaningful like one on one. Yeah, heart heart to heart. Yeah. So that's coming at some point. Yeah, I mean, eventually, throughout seven seasons, there's going to be moments like that with everyone. Especially, I imagine you know the the final episode before the crucifixion happens i i almost picture like a uh you know the the goodbye michael episode of the office where he had his little moment with each of the the of his co-workers i i imagine you know jesus at some point throughout the seven seasons will have his moments with each person um but before we get more into the chosen so what was what was your your childhood like and you know what was Home life, like all of that kind of stuff, because that's something I don't think we've ever really talked about together. No, I, I haven't talked much about it anywhere, really. So this this probably might be one of the few places that I talk about it, um, um, and you know, appropriately so, given the topic of conversation. So um, you know, I, I grew up the son of uh, two immigrants, one from Ireland and one from Egypt, in uh, New York City um, for the first few years of, of my existence, and then we moved to the suburbs of uh, Long Island and I grew up there went to public school there which was always you know party at times you know as a kid and and, uh, and also as a shy kid and a quiet kid um, uh, you know I was a bit of an introvert but friendly but just an introvert like I, if people engaged me then I'd open up but if not that I had a very hard time starting conversations or like meeting new people and um, I would just kind of Revert to my artwork, which is kind of how I expressed myself. So I was painting and drawing from the time I was like five years old and, and developing that skill. And uh, actually thought by high school that I was going to go be an illustrator or a fine artist um, or maybe a musician, which which came along when I was about eleven. I started learning how to play the drums and got pretty good at that. And thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll go be a musician. And then I I didn't want to go to music school i thought ah you know what i'll just do music on the side and become an illustrator and then i fell in love with film and i think for me like terminator 2 i saw that in the theater and that just changed my my life as far as wanting to study film like like special effects specifically and really wanting to get into the art the artistry of, of using you know artistic techniques or learning how to do like special effects makeup and something that was really creative that was just so mind-blowing um to to see on screen and um and so that's something that i always i was you know i imagined i would do unfortunately all the schools that had those programs were in california there was a couple of schools in new york um that had some you know camera effects classes mechanical not even mechanical effects just like camera special effects in within the camera and stuff like that and um, I ended up going to that film school in New York and studying 
film and then I audited the class that I had read about and I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't this isn't really what I thought it would be. And I ended up not even taking the class, so I just focused on film and uh took, you know, um illustration, art electives like painting and drawing. And I had some of the greatest teachers in New York City and in the world arguably um that taught in New York City uh, in my school and, and learning from them and um and just kind of trying to keep my my um, skills sharp in that area should I have decided ever to continue doing that. When I applied for, for the co to this college, I applied both to the film department and the illustration department, and they accepted both my portfolio as well as my submission for, for film. And then it was just like, well, what I got to pick something. And my cousin was the first person in our, in our family to, to foray into the, the film department the film world and so i had a pretty good conversation with him and and decided that you know what i'll always have drawing for myself let me go try to learn new skills so i went to film school and got my bfa in film made a bunch of films um and then ended up working uh in the industry after that um, but but child you know go back to your question like childhood was pretty straightforward um suburban life um you know very modest lifestyle um you know we were we were straight up middle class and uh yeah so um you know it was uh one of the interesting things was was having parents that you know didn't buy their kids everything their kids wanted because my parents didn't grow up like that you know they they grew up fairly modestly as well my mom grew up pretty poor so we 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 had um you know, we bought stuff that was, um, you know, middle of the road or stuff that was handed down from my older cousins. And, and of course, then that started leading to, you know, opening myself up as a target for, for kids that, you know, uh, we just bullies, really. So um, when you asked me to come on and maybe talk about, you know, what that's like, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've got a few things to say about that, you know, having gotten picked on as a kid. So, yeah. What, what kind of, uh, bullying did you experience was it more verbal or did it did it get physical like what were their what were they kind of targeting it was it was a bit of both i feel like there was something in the water where i grew up you know because there were a lot of kids that, that just did some outrageous things like like really 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 terrible physical things to other kids that i for i i was able to escape but um, even just getting, you know, physically, I think maybe one or, once or twice I got physically beat up. Um, a lot of the times it was just verbal. Like I, I uh, <laughs> there were a, there was a brand of sneaker when I was a kid called Zips. And they were like the poor man's kids or, you know, like they were, which was like two steps below like Reebok. And I, I never forget this. This one kid came up to me. He's like, "Rumi, you want to know how to be cool?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Get a pair of Reeboks." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's not going to happen anytime soon." And, and um, uh, you know, I think just getting made fun of because of what I wore was just a little bit outdated at times. And and uh, uh, and I, I didn't care. Like, I was proud of you know who I was and where I came from. And like, I. I probably would have argued with my folks to 
spend the money. Like, why would you spend that money on a pair of sneakers? But it just made things difficult. And if there was anything that I could have, you know, wished for is that that wasn't as, as a kid, it was like that that wasn't such an issue for, for other people. But, you know, I mean, kids are kids. And, and uh, I was in a, um, I was in a, a program for um, advanced students or, or, or um, like high intelligence kids or uh, uh, at the time. And, uh, and what I'm told was that after a while, and I don't remember this completely, I probably blocked it out. I think I got made fun of uh, for being in that program. It was called Sunburst. And um, I, like one of my best friends from that program, he ended up becoming the valedictorian of our high school. He ended up working for the government. He created his own system of math, you know, like a whole new, like crazy, <laughs> crazy, brilliant. And I'm like, what am I doing here? But um, I, I think I had a, pretty high emotional awareness and emotional intelligence and um and i was good at problem solving um but i from what i understand after a couple of years i think i i started sabotaging myself and flunking myself out of the program because i just didn't want to be associated with it as a you know like a nerd or a geek or whatever they were calling me at the time so and then when i when i had um i think it was my mother that told me that story a few years ago it really made me upset and sad that I, I was that susceptible to people's comments. But that, you know, as, as kids, you just are, you just, you know, I mean, unless you're, unless you're brought up with a really thick skin or you've had older brothers to kind of beat you down a little bit and to weather all that stuff that comes at you from people you don't know, um, you're just, target and I was kind of small at the time and, and very you know skinny and, and so uh, my physicality didn't help either you know so I remember being in high school too it was this uh trying to fit in with the the trends and the styles that were popular at the time and um I remember uh, before I went to a public school I was I homeschooled and went to private schools and and uh, stuff like that. So when I went to a public school, it was like this culture shock where, you know, before I they were smaller and kids that I had known forever. So they never thought of me as different or anything. And I never felt a lot of them had uniforms. So I, I didn't really focus much on what was in in style at the time, because we didn't have that option. Um, and then when we went to the or when I started going to this public school, uh, I was like, oh, so this is how kids dress. This is what I need to do. So I started trying out different styles. Like I'd dress up, I'd go to Hot Topic and get like some edgy clothes and like a choker. And then I'd go hang out with like the goth kids. Um, and, uh, but I, I wouldn't fit in in the group. They'd just kind of be like, who's this weird kid that's like, you know, this poser that's wearing clothes that like aren't really cool, but he thinks like he's trying to fit in in the group. So then when that didn't work out, um, I started dressing like the skater kids and then that didn't work out. So then I'd w go get like a uh, FUBU or fat farmer, like a tall T and uh, stuff like that. And like, I, I just did all these different little styles. And then one of them, um, gonna hit. One of them hit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And eventually I started hanging out with the, the football players and those were the ones they still would pick on me, but it was more, and sometimes it was like crossing some lines, but it was more in like a brotherly, you know, kind of dumb jock way like they didn't mean anything by it and and yeah. you know 
they were just kind of being like being guys, but they also protected me from some of the other bullies that, that had previously gotten physical with me. Um, but I started That's trying. Interesting. I, I had a similar kind of experience as a freshman, like the senior and the junior football players for summer. And I think the only reason that I, I got any kind of protection was because at the time Ferris Bueller's day off was just a few years old. Um, I'm a, pretty much a child of the eighties into the nineties. And then, um, because I bore a resemblance to a young Matthew Broderick, my nickname was Ferris for the first couple of years of high school. And, uh, if anybody was like messing with me, these giant, you know, 18 year old senior football players would be like, Hey, don't mess with Ferris. He's with us. I'd be like, oh, thanks guys. You know, and I had, I had no, I had not earned that title for any reason other than the fact that I looked like Matthew Broderick. And I was like, Hey guys, you know, and it was, that was it. And, and they just decided like, all right, I was okay. And then yeah. after that, like it got tougher when I became a, a sophomore and a junior and stuff. So. Right. It's uh, it, it is funny. Like ha- having that, you know, that support system because these guys like they, they would do things like, you know, throw me around or, you know, rough me up a little bit, like, you know, wrestling, they literally like would throw me from person to person sometimes because I was very small. Um, But they, at the same time, like at one point they heard that these guys had been picking on me and uh, they ended up follow like or they ended up meeting up with them outside of the school at this nearby park and they're like jordan come with us and i went with them and it was like a group of like 12 football players and these two guys that had been picking on me and they basically came up to them and intimidated them they found out these guys were at this park so they rolled up on them 12 giant football players and they were like we heard y'all that you've been picking on jordan and they were like no no man like we've just been messing around and they said, well, if you have a problem with Jordan, you have a problem with us. So if you do it again, we're going to come pay another visit. And, and they never mess with me again. Um, but uh, so it was nice having that. But then even in that group, I tried to fit in like with these preppy jock guys that like, mm. you know, I'd go to Hollister and buy like the the collar shirts and pop the collar and wear like puka shells. Um, but I would still like, I remember I got Converse and I was wearing them, but they were the tall Converse. Um, and I was wearing them with shorts and apparently like, you're not supposed to do that. And I remember someone made fun of that. And it's like weird things where it's like, I was just trying so hard. I was just looking at what they're wearing and then trying to emulate it, but something was always off. And then eventually junior high school or high school for sure. For me, it was high school. Cause in junior high, I was, um, you know, like I, I homeschooled most of junior high um, and was in L.A. a lot and like doing theater. So I was with people that were accepting me and that um, I never really thought about trying to fit in because I always just fit in. Um, and then going to high school, it was like all of a sudden I had to to adjust. And it was the first time I really had to do that. And then eventually I was like, you know what, whatever, I'm just going to wear what I want to wear. So I'd go back to wearing like, you know, my cargo shorts and oversized Hawaiian shirts. Oh, like now I think uh, sort this is a t-shirt, but it is, Hawaiian I'm, t-shirt. I'm in my closet right now. I've got like a whole, a whole row of Hawaiian shirts. Um, but, uh, it, it took a while though, to feel comfortable just wearing what I wanted to wear. Um, mm. so at what point did you, um, start because you said you went to film school and everything when did you start getting interested in acting and like being in front of the camera well it's funny i did a couple of plays 
in junior high school and high school. Um, and I also played in the pit orchestra as a drummer. Um, and so I would always play the, the uh, I was in the pit orchestra for all of the senior plays. And then when it came to my own play uh, as a senior, I, I was uh, in, I was an actor, I was on stage, um, but I, I was too shy. So I never, they were always musicals. I could never book a musical role. I tried singing, but it was just like, what, what did he say? I can't hear him. And I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, thank you so much. And so they would give me like these smaller little, you know, bit part, uh, comedic roles, which is what I did uh, best. And, and that's kind of what I, I, I kind of enjoyed doing it. And I loved getting the laugh, but I never thought that I would, I never had any intentions of becoming an actor. So when I got out of college, I had taken some acting class with um, one of our, our teachers was uh, actually Susan Batson, who's Nicole Kidman's private uh, coach for the last you know, her wow. entire career, basically. And I look back now, I'm like, man, I'm in class with Susan Batson. And, and she was really intense and it was really interesting. And I think, I think that class gave me a real love for the craft and we studied Stanislavski. And, but I just knew there's no way that I would ever want to be on camera. I just did not, I did not want to be seen in that way. I didn't want to be, ever be famous. I didn't want people to ever recognize me uh, because I really enjoyed my anonymity and my peace and my you know, silence. And I think it's why it's taken this long. I, I, as you know, God is a huge part of my life and I, why I, everything, everything is, has happened in a way that I can point to God's preparation and, and being given the opportunity at a certain stage in my life. Like I, I, my career is starting to take off at a very, very, very late time in a person's life as far as starting careers like yeah, you're 74 I mean, now do you know what i mean well i'm 70 well it's not 73 right sorry yeah next july um, yeah but uh but you know i mean i've been working for 20 years but it, it had it never took off it was always kind of kept at bay and i think probably because i maybe i would not have been well i wouldn't have been prepared to know what to do with the attention that I'm getting now. Yeah. Now it doesn't affect me nearly in the same way. It doesn't stress me out as much as it would have stressed me out 15 years ago. Um, <clears throat> but the decision after I got out of school was I was interested in performing. I was a good mimic. I could do impressions. And so I thought, well, if I could get voiceover work, that would be ideal. That would be the perfect job. From the time I was 15, year old, 15 years old, my goal was to, to book role on the simpsons to do like an episode of the simpsons was still like my bucket list dream job to to get something on the simpsons i don't, I don't care how small it could be two words like that i can die a happy man i can die a happy man anyway but that would just career-wise that would be the ultimate for me and so i started trying to figure out how to get into you know voiceover and i i didn't really know anybody i i um I started finding out about, you know, how people found casting directors and submitted for stuff. And back then, this is before the internet. So you had to, they had these little booklets that they published where you could find lists of casting directors, the kinds of shows they cast, what they're looking for in their submissions, and a physical address that you could mail them your, your photo, your headshot to. And so I found the casting director who cast a show for MTV called Celebrity Deathmatch, which was in the late 90s, early early noughts, early 2000s, where 
of these clay celebrities that were popular at the time, like Britney Spears versus Christina Aguilera, like in a ring. And they're made of, it's claymation. And they would fight each other to the death and they would, you know, have all these kind of, you know, pop culture references to each of their careers. And they would need people to sound like those celebrities. And so mm-hmm. I, I applied, I sent a letter and uh, had it and uh, just say, hey, I can do voices. You know, I'd love to audition for the show. And like a few months later, I got a response and said, hey, here's a phone number. You can call this hotline and leave us an impression, like your best impression, like just leave us a minute of your impression. So I probably did a, you know, a, a Brando impression or something like that. And then they started calling me. And after I think two months or so of random audition opportunities, I booked my first episode. And then I ended up working on, over the course of three seasons, I did like 25 characters on the show. And that wow. was my first introduction. And then I thought, this is pretty cool. Maybe I should get some training for voiceover. And so that casting director introduced me to a, um, my voiceover mentor in New York, a guy by the name of Stuart Dillon. And, uh, and I took his class and I made a demo and he sent it to an agent friend and I got an agent and I started auditioning for commercials and other voiceover projects. And, um, yeah, I just started working there and that kind of led slowly to my, you know, building an acting career in New York. Um, all the while I had a film career working behind the scenes as a location scout and a location manager. Eventually I, made my way up that ladder and I realized right business, wrong ladder. And when the market, uh, the market collapsed in 2008, I was planning to come to Los Angeles in 2009, but because of a, a family tragedy, I had to um, shift that by about a year and ended up showing up uh, like early 2010. And, uh, and then did, you know, basically decided this would be my endeavor full-time it was all or nothing i knew because that's what you need for this business i mean you well know like you either fully commit to it or you don't if you have to commit to it you know you might be dabbling for 20 30 years and that might be great you know um people are satisfied with that but for me i, I needed to know whether or not this was something i really had in me and uh, i could hack it and yeah and, uh, and struggled for eight years before um chosen came along you know worked a bunch of different tv shows and right commercials and lots of voiceover stuff i do a lot of video game work um but uh the chosen was kind of like my first series um where i'm an actual like a series regular whenever you moved out there in 2010 uh because that's whenever I, I lived out there on and off as a teenager uh and then i moved out there officially for a few years in 2010 as well where where did you first move like what area were you living in when you first moved out there so i i worked on i was a location scout on a huge movie called i am legend and um the 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 head of special effects and visual effects was a uh, a guy by the name of mike and he was based here in los angeles and when i moved out here he was one of the few people that i knew that actually lived here and uh like so in 2009 i called him up like in the fall and said hey mike i'm, I'm gonna be moving to la do you know anybody that's has like is looking for a roommate and Mike's an older guy, you know. Um, uh, like he was like 15, 20 years old, and he's like, you know, I never hear about people needing a roommate, but it just so happens that my coordinator, this girl that works for me, she's looking for a roommate. So we chatted a couple times over the phone, and um, I, I just said, you know, she sounds cool, and he vouches for her, and 
Um, so I ended up uh, becoming roommate with her, and I, I met her in the apartment for the first time, which was in Valley Village um, when I got to uh, got to town. And uh, she was the best roommate I ever had. And we were only roommates for like six months, and then she moved home, um, moved back home, and then I floated around Hollywood. I slept on a floor for a month in West Hollywood with a buddy of mine and three other people, and it was that was kind of nuts. And, um, I lived, I, I, I apartment sat in um, um, Sherman Oaks for like three months. And we weren't that far from each other because I was in uh, Van Nuys. Oh, I lived all over, but whenever I officially moved back out, I was in Van Nuys right off of, uh, what was it, Sherman Way and Victory. Um, and then, uh, but I I kind of bounced around a lot too. I think most people do when they, they first go out there. As a teenager, I lived probably with, 12 different people in 12 different places at different points. And um, at one point, an acting instructor was like, Hey, my brother needs a roommate for a little bit. Um, So I slept on his couch, but it turned out he was a drug dealer. So that was, uh, and I was like a 15 year old kid. I couldn't drive. So I'm just like sleeping on this dude's couch. And every now and then he'd be like, I have a friend coming over. You go hang out and play grand theft auto in my room for a minute. Um, And uh, so that was 30 minutes and you knock him out. Yeah, exactly. Don't um, touch the gun either. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had some uh, interesting living situations out there. I really liked, too, what you said about uh, how things kind of happen when they're supposed to, because yeah. th- looking back, living in L.A. throughout all those years and knowing I, I realized when I was six that this is what I was going to do, that I was acting, nothing else Amazing. like all my, my eggs were in that basket, which was scary a lot of the time. But, um, you know, my mom was super supportive of it and, and let me go to LA, you know, by myself as a 14 year old. And that's um, insane. That's, yeah. That takes a lot of courage. Was that, I mean, was that just like trusting in, you know, process? I, trusting I think so. Like what, what was that that allowed her to do that and let you, to just kind of be on your own where did you and you had nobody else out here so i i had like my i have an uncle out there uh, at the time i had a couple uncles and like um basically i whenever i was 13 i did a workshop in dallas with a manager and after the workshop it was me my sister and a guy named hunter parish were the only three people that signed up for it um and we did this workshop And afterwards, she invited all three of us. Uh, She was like, hey, this summer, I'm doing like a boot camp for actors out in L.A. for, for, you know, child and and teen actors. And, um, you know, come out and do this. And we do a workshop in front or a uh, uh, showcase in front of casting directors and agents. Um, And my mom, I enjoyed it. And so my mom signed me up for this this boot camp that summer. And Hunter, the guy that was in it, ended up uh, booking a lead role on Weeds. Uh, he was the son of of the main actress on it and like has gone on to do a bunch of cool stuff too but um so yeah i did that and basically all the kids that that sign up for this workshop or boot camp they they fly out to la and they have like a boy house and a girl house so she had local clients that had kids out there and uh one of them you know had like two boys that were with her so all the other boys going there for that boot camp just stayed with them during the the whole like two months and then same with the girls they all stayed at our manager's house and then every day we'd all go to this acting studio and do class together and and you know hang out um 
And through that, I met a lot of other, you know, kids out there who some of their parents had moved out there with them. And uh, my my sister wasn't as interested. So she did that one boot camp and then didn't do it again. But uh, I kept going back. And then I since I was homeschooling, I'd spend, you know, half the year out there sometimes and uh, lived with different families and and uh, kids that that were out there and in the same acting classes. And my mom because my grandpa is in the industry. Um, she already kind of knew a, she was a little more savvy than maybe some of the other parents. Um, and uh, so that helped, but also she's like the most trusting and optimistic person on the face of the planet. Um, and, uh, she is just like, you know, sometimes I love her so much, but sometimes to a fault, like we would be driving down the road and, you know, once we were listening, they were literally talking about like escaped convicts on the radio and described that they were like in, in a van and, and all this stuff. And as we were listening, there was a broken down van on the highway with two people trying to fix it. And she pulled over to help them. Um, and it wasn't them. But I was like, I was, you know, nine years old or something. And I'm like, Mom, like, even I get it. Yeah. Like, this isn't this isn't the smartest thing. So yeah, and that's exactly what she says. So me going to LA, um, I, it was that kind of thing where she's just like, oh, everything's going to be fine. Like, you know, and and it was, uh, but she was just so supportive and she'd come out and visit me and stuff a lot and fly me back and forth. And I couldn't have yeah. done it without her, without her, but auditioning for so many, you know, I had gotten close as a kid and as a teen to booking some big things. And I was really bummed every time I didn't get any of those. Um, and I, I'd, you know, beat myself up and be like, you know, I, I should have had it. Or like, how could my, how different would my career be if I had booked that? But now I'm so glad it happened the way it did getting the chosen and then having these other things happen because yeah. I was so insecure then. And I was so, um, I, I was just, I wasn't as hardworking as I am now. I, I kind of relied on just natural ability and didn't really push myself. I didn't work as hard as I should have. So if I had just happened to fall into it and book some big role in something, I don't think it would have sustained. I don't think I would have, you know, been able to keep it going. Um, but now I'm at a point where it's like, I'm actually, I, I'm working hard at it. I feel better about myself. And it's like just mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, every way I'm, I'm at a much better place than I was then. And that happens to that happened to be the time that it kind of started to the ball started to roll. Um, and uh, so I'm really grateful that it, it happened the way it did for all and all of us, like our castmates as well, talking to people. It's like, it just seems like it came at the perfect time for everyone. So speaking of that, um, you had played Jesus a few other times before and you had worked with Dallas. But then with this, like, what was the, you know, what, what kind of, of pressure do you feel, you know, because all the rest of us, we're still playing, you know, these characters that are flawed and human and, and not that Jesus wasn't human, but it's like we're playing these flawed characters with, you know, these real human issues that we don't have to, to be perfect. Um, but then you're playing literally the, the perfect human and God, like it's so what, what kind of pressure is that? Um, and uh, just kind of what's your mindset with with approaching that? Well, you know, I, I like to remind people at any opportunity that uh, I am nothing like my character in that way. Um, the way I aspire to towards 
the ideals of Jesus is to try to, to be a better version of myself and to try to be more compassionate, more loving and more merciful and more understanding and, and to become more and more aware of my own uh, faults and foibles and shortcomings as a human being. Um, and, and the only way that I could uh, identify with Jesus is just is, is solely through the uh, through having the human experience which he had and, and, and that's it and even then you know it's um, of course I'm going to fall short you know because Jesus didn't sin I sin I'm a human I mess up <clears throat> constantly um, you know and and so I think it's important that people remember that and know that uh, I'm, I'm you know at, at best I'm a shadow of of the intention to try to be somewhat uh, in in the same sphere as as the 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 bar that Jesus has set for humanity, and um, God knows nobody can attain that level of perfection, um, but it's in you know it's in our own best interests to try. And I think when you you know when you adopt the um, the qualities that Christ had as a human, it only makes you a better person. You know, mm -hmm. um, when you're more forgiving to people that you don't want to be forgiven towards, you yield uh, a fruit within your own spiritual lives and a sense of peace that you can't attain otherwise. Um, you know, and, and for every other uh, uh, character trait that he possessed, when you try to adopt them, it only makes life more rich and more positive and pleasant and and when there is um, tragedy and difficulty and obstacles you are just better equipped to handle them uh, differently and um, so that I found that to be true for myself and I found also that as I've tried to adopt more of those ideals and, and more of those um, you know personality traits it's um, it's I think just just being trying to be a better person has opened up more opportunities for me as an actor and more pro, you know things have, have kind of developed in ways that I had not anticipated and projects are, are now sort of coming across my desk that I could never have even imagined would as a result of playing um, this character so uh, I, I try to release myself of any obligation um, and and just try to be a vessel or a channel um, for that spirit of love and harmony and, and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. And, uh, and you know, again, it's a, like I said, it's, it's something that I, I struggle with every day. But, um, you know, I, I know God does not expect me to, to, to be Jesus. Um, but when you're playing him, you, 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 you automatically, when, when you're spending so much time with him the way I have it for the last, so, what is it, almost eight years now, I have been playing Jesus in some kind of project or another, um, like conti continually, at least once a year, uh, it, 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 it forces you to, to just make different decisions and it just changes you from the inside out, if that makes sense. Has there ever been a moment or a day or a scene where you just felt specifically like or, or especially scared or intimidated by 
whether it's the the material and the scene or whatever like have, have there been any examples of that i think the biggest example um identified early on i think in 70s house in episode six when the, the paralytic is coming through the roof and there was so many people there that day it's kind of a blur to me um so that was a moment where that was the first time we i had been given a script where even though the focus is not me preaching or teaching like that's what i'm doing i i begin then now reciting parables and quoting a series of parables and i think even some portions of the sermon in the mount on the mount are, are sort of injected at that point as well so there's this this dialogue that's going over all of these images and all of these these narrative lines that have kind of intersected with the pharisees and nicodemus and the apostles and the the paralytic being lowered through the roof and, and all of this action is coming to a head and, and, and Gaius and the Romans are getting involved and uh, everybody shows up at Zebedee's house. And um, when the crowd, you know, it's, it's me talking to, um, you know, Zebedee and a couple of the disciples and then these neighbors, and then the crowd starts to build outside of Zebedee's house. And as the crowd gets bigger and bigger, now I just full on address the crowd and start, preaching to them and I'd never done that in the series yet <clears throat> and when I started that preaching um I, that day we started filming uh, at that moment all of a sudden I it's like it's like a brick hit me on the head and all of a sudden I thought I was feeling completely inadequate and completely unprepared to, to, to for what was coming as I was saying these words and I all of a sudden felt like I didn't belong there and that I shouldn't be saying these words and that I wasn't worthy of of pretending for lack of a better term to be Jesus in this scene saying these very very sacred scriptural text pieces and and so I I had to and we were trying to and the focus was on like the reactions of everybody listening to me so we were kind of moving through the scene you know different shots and and like doing fewer takes um, on me because it wasn't about my close-ups or anything like that. But I also didn't feel confident getting the words out at that point. So I had to, I had to stop for a minute and I just asked Dallas, I said, can we just slow down for a second? Because I'm really not in a great place right now. And he's like, what, what's wrong? And I said, and I just started to break down. I said, I don't feel worthy to be saying these words. And we're just kind of, rushing through this and i didn't get it and like i know you wouldn't move on unless you were you know sure that that's what you wanted but for me i don't feel ready to move on because i'm struggling terribly right now um and he just like put his hand on my shoulder and he's like none of us are worthy here brother but we're here to get this out to the world and i'm paraphrasing like so that People will understand and people will, will know that like what this message was and what Jesus's words were. And, and so, um, so I, that, that immediately kind of brought me back to reality. And, and I think there's an, an element when you're playing, especially a character like this and on a show like this, there's an element of spiritual warfare that starts to happen. And, um, you know, anything that can get you in your head uh, about telling this story, I think, is is want to happen so you have to be especially prepared and mentally and spiritually just armored to um to to get into battle um because it'll be coming at you from all sides all your insecurities start bubbling up to the surface and uh 
uh, you, you really have to be just prayed up, as I, as I say, like to say, like, I got to stay prayed up and make sure that I'm equipped to kind of shout down those voices like, like you would as an actor in any other situation. You're like, I'm not good mm-hmm. enough. I'm not right. I'm not tall enough. I'm not short enough. You know, um, whatever it is, like, that's all meant to just, you know, distract you and, 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 you know, just make you feel terrible about yourself. And, and, and that's not the life I think that, that God wants us to live, you know, as, as performers, as, as people here who can share our gifts with the world and inspire people and, and, and you know, um, uh, encourage people to, to take action and follow their own dreams and the things that they've been gifted with to pursue that and, and, and lead their best lives. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, after that moment, having gotten through that, that was a real um, lesson for me. And so um, that doesn't happen, fortunately, uh, as as much, if at all. I mean, occasionally the the, the uh, a flittering of an idea like that might cross my mind, but I just kind of let the thought camp come in, and then I let the thought go out, and then it's gone. So um, needless to say, as a result, my prayer life has tripled since I started. That's great, man. And and I want to say that I am so grateful that we have you in, in Dallas as well. But but as far as the the cast goes, you to kind of steer the the ship and keep everyone focused and how, you know, th- there's I know that all of the rest of us and, and speaking personally, when I have, you know, the three or four moments in a season that it's like, okay, cool. This is my moment. I can't mess it up. And like, I know how much pressure there is in those moments. Um, and, uh, how I, I, I know it's like, this is, this is one of my few times to shine. I really need to, to deliver because everyone else on the show is, and Jonathan is, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to be the weak link and, I can get in my head, but then I think about like, oh man, well, Jonathan every day is having to deliver these, these, you know, long speeches or, you know, have these really heavy scenes and he doesn't get a break. You know, I can go weeks at a time during shooting where I'm just hanging out, poking a fire or (laughs) listening to other people fighting or something. Um, And I'm just there reacting to it all. But you are kind of the, the catalyst for, all of the drama that's happening on the show. So um, I think the way that you carry yourself and the way that you lead the rest of us is key to the show's success. And I think it's so um, needed. Like I I genuinely cannot picture anyone playing any of anyone else playing any of of the roles on the show, but with you specifically, I, I can't imagine how anyone else could, not only play this character as well as you, but fill that role within the cast as well as you. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really grateful that we, we have you there. That's such a blessing for me to hear. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Of course. I feel the same, man. I'm, I'm, it's a, it's a blessing and a grace uh, and a humbling honor for me to, to get to do this. And I was just at an event uh, in Northern California this past weekend. Um, and I met a lot of people, um, it's like a, a high-end, you know, business, like a Catholic business conference, um, or like a connection conference, uh, and you know, people from all walks of life were were coming up to me, like kids, little kids, to older people, to like very, very well-established, you know, Fortune 500 industry leaders, and 
having a, just this such a beautiful reaction and talking about things that they've experienced from you know as a result of the show and and, and uh, the work being done in the show by everyone and uh, you know and how much it's meant to their to their lives and to their families' lives and especially like fathers communicating like how the the, the show has affected their children's faith and and um, and like literally in tears as they're telling me these stories and it's it's just it's so incredible so i you know i say this to everybody that you know that that talks to me for long enough you know it's it's the it's probably the the most significant thing i'll ever do as an actor and possibly as a person um because of, of how far reaching and wide the audience is um globally now at this point and, and how personal that relationship is it really has. Um, I'm so glad we're we're a part of it and on this journey together. Um, but before we go, I do know I know you have to get off soon. But I have two more questions. One, uh, what is the thing you love most about yourself? And then uh, two, anything else you want to plug or promote before you go? Sure. Uh, thing I love most about myself—that's a tough one. Um, I'm a pretty harsh critic of myself. Yeah. I think now it's my willingness to be okay with whatever happens, um, which has come from a, a, a moment in my life three years ago where I literally just had to surrender everything, surrender all my control and my expectations and just surrender it, give it up to God and just be like, wherever you want to take me, I'm willing to go. And I feel I'm most proud of really trying to embrace that and knowing that at any minute everything could go away and being like, okay, well, it was fun for a little while. Um, and I think, I think that's, that took a long time to get to that point. It took 20 years to get to that point. So I think that's what I'm most proud of. As far as, uh, what do I want to plug? Uh, well, I've got, um, I'm working with a couple of different companies um, right now. I have a nonprofit called GK Chesterton Entertainment, gkce.org, um, and uh, that's a. It's a, I'm a partner in that. Where um, the goal, the mission of the company is to create entertainment, which boldly challenges the culture to live out their faith. And so, it may not always necessarily be um, faith-based, but it's like faith-centered and mission-centered. Um, and so we're we're just getting things off the ground there and, and looking for projects and, and writers. So um, any support for the company would be amazing. Um, we've got some stuff coming up for the fall, hopefully that we're in, we're developing now. And then if anybody wants to hear the um, the continued adventures of me, uh, at least in voice as Jesus, I just narrated the audio Bible for a company called Hal the Hal app. The, so you you did the whole the whole Bible. So uh, right now it's all four Gospels. Okay. So, and and they're depending on how these do, um, there may be more to come. So wow. And I've got a couple of other a, a, a bunch of other stuff that I'm recording with them now. But that's like a, a prayer and meditation app, and um, yeah. So it's me narrating the Gospels um, that uh, that is exclusively uh, with with Hal. You can just download it and you can do, there's a 30 day free trial, hallow.com slash Jonathan. You can listen to, um, 
that you can download the app and use this app at full speed uh, for a full month. Wow. That, uh, so. Well, that's exciting. Well, then, and hopefully we'll have a uh, season three sooner rather than later. We'll see. Praying on that. Yeah. Whatever God wills. I know. I think, you know, I, again, like we were discussing earlier today, I think everything happens in due time. And in the meantime, I think uh, you've, uh, you've got this, this podcast going with it, which is like a ministry in itself. And I'm, I know encouraging so many people and um, I just listened to the RJ Nitty episode. So that was awesome. So uh, Thanks. continue doing what you're doing, man. You're such an inspiration. I'm so excited to work with you and I love you. Right back at you. I love you too, man. And uh, thank you for doing this. I'm you're the first chosen cast member that I've, I've gotten on. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to share it. I'll let you go to your other meeting. I love you, man. Love you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. So that was my conversation with my pal Jonathan Rumi. I hope all of you enjoyed it as much as I did. It's so nice getting to catch up with my my chosen family uh, in between shooting seasons because I miss all of them so much. It's like, you know, uh, how I imagine the characters in Harry Potter felt having to go home uh, between their their years at Hogwarts. And uh, how, you know, they were so excited to get back and, and you know, experience the next year together. Uh, that's that's how I feel about my chosen castmates. The wait in between seasons is always tough. So any opportunity I have to sit down and talk to any of them, I'm going to take uh, because they're all so, so, so special and so important to me. But like I said, Jonathan was just the first uh, of my chosen castmates that I have had on my show. But I have already spoken to at least you know, eight to 10 more castmates uh, about coming on in the future. So there will be more. Uh, it might be a little bit because I want to do as many of them in person as possible, just because it's, it's, uh, you know, easier to have a, an intimate conversation whenever you're face to face with someone, not through a computer screen. So I'm probably going to wait until we start shooting season three, uh, which will be March, most likely. And uh, that way I can, uh, you know, bring my my microphone with me whenever I'm going to shoot and we can set it up in the hotel or in our trailer or somewhere and, and do those episodes then. So be sure to subscribe and, you know, turn on notifications and all of that stuff so you can get those episodes as soon as they're available. I just want to thank Jonathan again for coming on. I really appreciate his willingness to open up and be vulnerable um, and to talk about things that, that, you know, he's struggled with and things that he's overcome. I'm just really moved and impressed and, and inspired by how he is able to, uh, connect with other people and uplift them. Now is the time for me to announce next week's guest. I am going to be interviewing Stephen Letness, who is a uh, film composer who happens to have a uh, visual impairment. He isn't completely blind, but he um, has lost most uh, of his vision, but he has still scored several award-winning films. He's, he's incredibly successful, um, and he is doing incredible work behind the scenes to create opportunities for other artists, whether they work in front of the camera or behind the camera with disabilities. So I'm super excited for all of you to hear that conversation. One of the organizations that he is a major part of is the One in Four Coalition. And uh, basically, One in Four is a reference to the fact that one in four Americans have some form of physical or mental disability. And uh, that they are 
incredibly underrepresented in the film industry. So Steven, as I said, is trying to change that. Uh, and we talk a lot about that as well as his own journey and struggles and, and things that he's overcome. Uh, and I think that it's uh, a really, really powerful episode. You don't want to miss it. Be sure to tune in next Monday to hear my conversation with Steven. But until then, remember to love your limp, have a great week, and I will talk to y'all next time. Mm -hmm.